This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. It's April the 7th. Thank you for listening to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn. You know, last night while I was making dinner, I was getting caught up on some of the podcasts I listen to, and I realized how quickly I skip ads and any announcements. Now, obviously, we don't have paid advertising on the Best Friends Podcast, but we do have things to promote from time to time, and I just want to ask you to keep your finger off that skip ahead button. I really try to make sure it doesn't take too much time, but these things are important, such as registration for the 2022 Best Friends National Conference is now open. We'll talk more about the conference in future episodes, what's happening this year, but I can tell you it is in Raleigh, North Carolina. Check out the show notes on your podcast app. Go to the website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Click the link for episode 107, and in the resources section, we'll have more information. Now, you may be saying, John, it's April. The conference isn't until July. It's a bit early to be telling me about this. Well, there's a good reason I'm telling you. It's because there is an early bird special right now. If you register before April 30th, your registration will be discounted by $100. If you are with a network partner, you can save another 50. We do also have scholarships available, but you are gonna wanna get your applications in for those right away. So listen, I cannot wait for the conference. I don't know exactly what we're gonna be doing podcast-wise, but fingers crossed, hopefully something, maybe a live episode. Yes, that would be me, unedited. Who knows what could happen? <laughs> to learn more, bestfriends.org slash podcast. And coming up much sooner, April the 12th, the Best Friends Network offering a webinar on dog reactivity. What is it? Why is it? And what can you do about it? April the 12th, 6 p.m. Eastern. Again, link in the show notes or on the website. All right, so let's get into the episode where we're talking about cats once again, but this time it's about lost cats. According to Petco and their Love Loss platform, one in three pets will go missing in their lifetime. One in three. Considering there are 186 million dogs and cats living in American homes, it's a lot of lost pets, about 10 million a year. Now, sadly, the number of those animals that make their way back to their owners is low, lower than you might think. And that's especially true when those pets aren't microchipped, which is much more common with cats, right? So only 2% of cats are reclaimed from shelters by their owners. I think we can agree that all lost pets deserve to go home. I know it's sometimes easy to be judgmental with these cases. How could someone let their pet go missing? They must be irresponsible. Folks, accidents happen to the best of us. Truly, if you've not had a dog slip a lead or have a cat bolt out the door when you have company over, consider yourself lucky. It really is one of the most gut-wrenching things that can happen to a pet owner. And all of it can be made so much worse when owners don't know what to do to find their pet. There's a lot of conflicting information out there. For example, should you put your kitty's litter box in the driveway to help them recognize their scent and come home? We address that in the episode, but the short answer is no. But that doesn't stop that potentially harmful tip from appearing all across the internet. So how are we doing when it comes to getting lost cats home? And what can animal shelters and rescue organizations do to help cat owners be reunited with their family member? To answer those questions and more, I chatted with Kim Freeman, a pet detective who has helped thousands of cats get home safely. Well, Kim, let's start at the beginning. 
how did you become a lost cat detective? I lost my own cat. This was in Texas, and I got all the typical advice people get by well-meaning friends and you know social media. You know, put the litter box out, put some food out, do this, do this. None of that stuff worked. And this is why this cut and paste advice is so dangerous because every situation is different. If I'd followed that advice, my cat would have died. He was stuck in the rancher's shipping container behind me. And nobody was going to see a poster. You know, posters wouldn't do any good. Next door, Facebook. So having gone through it, you know, I learned firsthand how it feels and how stressful it is. And it made me realize that, you know, I've, I've, I've been trained for this. I'm certified. I can use this knowledge to help other people who are in this panic mode. You know, nobody really thinks about recovering lost cats till it happens to them. And then they're just taking every piece of advice they can get from anybody. Well, you say trained, curious as to what that means, you know, where and, and how does that training happen? Well, I was trained in lost pets in general. Cat Albrecht was the person who really pioneered the lost pet searching. So I was trained on, you know, dogs, cats, sugar gliders, birds, iguanas, snakes, horses. But my niche is cats, you know? I love cats and I like the detail cats involved. You know, with dogs, your dogs are roaming around where people can see them. I like the it's it's tracking. I'm into the tracking part. You know, I found a cat hair. The cat has been passed here. The cat went over this fence. There's claw marks at the top. You know, I like that detective element of it. So interesting to me. You know, I love a good mystery story for another day, but I set out to find out who my grandfather was because we didn't know. And I just got hooked into the investigative side of that, you know, just digging and finding all these clues. And I have to imagine that a missing cat is not dissimilar from trying to find a missing person. Yeah, that's where Cat started. She was a bloodhound handler and did missing persons. So a lot of these tactics come from the world of missing persons. You know, the profiling, we profile the cats, probability theory. She brought all of that world into the lost pet world, really pioneered the whole thing in the 90s. Well, probability theory, I know to be a mathematical term, and then profiling, I know from TV. Uh, but in the context of missing cats, what does that mean? Probability theory and profiling, you know how they profile criminals. Similar with cats, you want to learn what their personality and your search depends on each cat's type, what they're like. You know, do they like uh, greet strangers? Do they come up when a stranger comes in the house and greet them or do they dive under the bed uh, when they're stressed? Do they go up high or do they go low? Those kind of behavioral things give us clues on how to search for them. I want to make sure we focus on the shelter and rescue side of lost cats. How can we help owners find their cats, you know? I know the reclamation rate for lost cats in shelters is very, very low. Definitely one of those stats that we've all just sort of said for years, uh, and I, but I do think it's probably pretty accurate, which is 2%. 2% of owned cats entering shelters make it back to their owners, right? It's 2%. It is improving a little bit, but it is still very low. I know maybe two or three shelters that have gotten it over 20%. And I've studied their tactics because there are best practices that shelters can use to improve the reclaim rate. But part of the problem with the low reclaim rate, you know, dogs is not great. Dogs, I think, is about 35%. But part of the problem with the reclaim rate on cats is that the cats 
when the cat goes missing, the owner runs to the shelter. Is my cat here? And the shelter says, no, but you know, we have cats to adopt. Um, or we'll take a report, you know, we'll take a lost pet report. Well, meanwhile, the cat is in hiding for 10, 20 days. No one sees it. Eventually it's starving and desperate enough to approach someone. And then by the time a cat lets someone pick it up or trap it and it comes to the shelter, it's in bad shape. And it's usually three or four months later and the owner's long since given up looking. So there's this disconnect, you know, in the timeline for lost cat behavior and psychology and owners, you know, typical, I'll go check the shelters. I'll post on Facebook. So that's part of what I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to educate the owners on better new scientific ways to find lost cats, but also the shelters on not only how to prevent these unfound strays who are not microchipped from coming in, but how to do the reports. I've got this system I've created that is essentially free shelters could be putting in place to notify owners so that it's automatic. So even if the owner's given up, if a match comes in, it will notify them. The timelines for lost pets and shelters, you know, it's just very tight, isn't it? Stray holds nationwide, three, four, five days. And it's such a narrow window when we're talking about uh, uh, lost cats and the timeline for lost cats. I understand the need for stray holds, but the timing is definitely tricky, isn't it? Yeah. If the cat's only there for the blink of an eye, what are the odds that they're going to reclaim it? It's, I think there's a lot behind those low reclaim rates. It's, it's a sad statistic, but we got to figure out why. We got to look at the reasons why and address those. Dr. Kate Hurley, UC Davis, Million Cat Challenge, when she was on the podcast, you know, she really emphasized the point that cats and dogs are not the same. They're different, but we so often approach these two species uh, in the same way in animal welfare. So from your perspective, when we talk about lost dogs and cats, what are the big differences there? This is a generalization, but typically dogs roam and cats hide, right? A loose lost dog, people are going to see it trotting down the street. Cat's hiding somewhere. The cat is more likely to be under someone's deck. Data shows that most cats, now we're talking about the indoor cats who slip out, the escapees here. They typically hide from 10 to 17 days before they even break cover. I mean, they will starve themselves. They're so scared to break cover and give away their location. And many people, many people I work with have given up within five days a week. And so here's the cat finally coming out from hiding. And meanwhile, the person's not looking anymore. Sometimes they just mentally have given up. You know, they say, well, we've posted on Facebook. We've checked the shelter. We've done everything. Whereas with dogs, this is one of the things I would love to change or, or help shelters realize and change is that we can't give out the same lost pet tips for cats and dogs. Kate Hurley is exactly right. Um, they are such different species, especially when stressed. So yes, posters and Facebook and the, the typical lost pet advice does work for dogs. And I think, you know, shelters were created for dogs. And I think most of the pet advice is geared toward dogs. Best practices today, you know, a lot of platforms out there, Nextdoor, Facebook, all the social media, paw boosts, those kind of things. What is the best advice for a cat owner? You know, I'm going to guess that a big mistake cat owners make is they look too big. Meaning, you know, the odds of my lost cat being more than a few blocks away 
th those odds are pretty slim. Mm -hmm. We all see these stories of that, the lost cat, you know, it's national news, cat gone for seven years, found six states away. And <laughs> I wonder if that sort of conditioned us, conditioned cat owners to think in a, in a bigger way. Yeah when the odds are that your cat is probably pretty close to home. So this is part of the reason why population density is so important. And in the profiling, you got to find out how many cars are there. The cat that dives under the bed when someone comes to visit is the cat that's going to dive under a car when they're scared. That's kind of their under the bed outdoors. Those are the cats that get transported. They see footsteps or they see a dog, somebody walk their dog past and with the whole advent of SUVs, there's this skid plate under the vehicles. It's a perfect little cubby hole for cats. They hop up on that and you can't see them unless their tail's hanging down. So that's how they end up states away. They've accidentally been transported. So I try not to ever tell anyone, oh, just focus, you know, comb your block. Just, you know, focus on 100 feet around your house. They've got to cover every angle. And transport is, I'm seeing it more and more. Every person says, no, my cat would never go near a car. Guess where that cat ends up? Uh, here's, here's a good example. Here's a good story to explain that. Um, this was someone who bought my, my guide and, you know, DIY. But she had followed all the advice and guide as far as searching in her immediate, you know, 250 feet. And no leads, nothing had turned up. It had been three weeks. People usually contact me after two or three weeks. So going through the profile, I asked her what was happening that day. And a plumber had come to visit and was drilling. Big, scary noise. Cat ran out the door. So one of the things I suggested that she do was call the plumber and ask him where he went after her. Did he have another job afterward? And he said, no, I went home. But when I got home, my dog was barking at the car. And I think it was a van. He opened it up and a cat jumped out and ran away. And he thought nothing of it guess whose cat it was. So Cannoli, who would never go near a car, had been transported to the plumber's house. Some of them hang on until the car comes to a stop and is shut off, but some will jump out along the way. My data shows it's usually the third stop where they finally jump out. So yeah, the, the transport cases are very real and probably account for I don't know, two out of 10 of my cases. I certainly don't want to criticize the plumber, but I do think if I saw a cat jump out of my van when I got home, I'd like to think I would wonder how the hell that happened and not just uh, go in and have dinner. But again, something we've talked about on the program before is how we talk about cats, how we talk about cat behavior, and maybe how little the average person knows about cat behavior and therefore, then knowing what to do when a cat is lost, you know, Liz Finch, one of my teammates on the Best Friends Network team, one of her things, you know, these pet peeves, nails on a chalkboard things is when someone says, uh, take the litter box and put it in the driveway. <laughs> and risky and counterproductive. A litter box, you know, cats, cats cover their poop for a reason. They don't want to give away their location. They're hiding their scent. And if you put it out on display, you're inviting all the neighborhood territorial cats to come into your cat's safe zone, beat them up and chase them further away. Even worse, you're inviting wildlife to come in. You know, on my trail cameras, I see raccoons coming in and eating the poop out of litter box, coyotes coming in. We have studied this for years. A sack of potatoes would work just as well as a litter box, but be safer. 
a lot of these cats will, are coming home despite the litter box, not because of it. That's so interesting. And, you know, it totally makes sense. Are there other things like the litter box where we've sort of always done it, but it's not very effective or maybe even hurting our chances of recovering a cat? Well, uh, let's use the walking around this neighborhood, shaking treats and calling. Okay. Maybe, maybe that would work for a dog. Uh, most dogs are running and they're not going to slow down. But well, first of all, if they were going to come out, they would have come out. And for people to walk every day, shaking treats and calling, it's the Pied Piper effect. If your cat was two doors down and you're walking down the street, you could be drawing them five doors down. You know, if they're trailing behind your voice for a distance and moving slowly, you're basically drawing them all over the place away from their safe spot that's probably close to home. So yeah, walking around. I don't know if shelters say to do that, but it's what people tend to do. People also tend to think that if they have searched the area, that's done. Their cat's not there. But cats often have different hiding places. And if they get flushed, let's say a landscaper. Let's say your cat's hiding next door. Landscaper comes, leaf blower flushes it out. It's now hiding in a new place. You know, anytime they're disturbed, they tend to... They don't know the world isn't full of wolves. You know, they're they're just in survival mode. So yeah, the shaking treats. Oh, and the searching. You've got you can't just search once and say, my cat's not here, because they could come back. A lot of times they have one hiding place in the daytime and they move to another place at night. So that's one of them. And of course, you can say, Well, I've combed every inch of my 250-foot radius, but cats move. It's not like looking for your lost keys. You could have found your cat 12 times and not known it because they evaded you 13 times. So in a way, I see people, you know, when they're doing really aggressive searching, they're really chasing. They don't realize it, but they're chasing the cat. Totally makes sense when you say it. Yeah, you, it's, it's all about thinking about these things from the cat's perspective. A cat who is stressed out, not the human grab, chase, catch mode, but the cat's fearful I have to protect my life. I mean, they'll even run from their owners. Cat's vision is such that everything beyond about 20 feet is just blurry. They don't know it's you. It's just something big is coming. I better get out of here before it gets any closer. So yeah, it's it's all about you know, understanding cat's sight perception, uh, their sense of hearing and smell, all of that factors in. A lot of people listening to this are, are probably chuckling and saying, you want me to understand cat behavior? Get out of here. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so we're talking in generalities for the purpose of this conversation, but as we know, all animals are individuals. You've mentioned this, that, you know, of course there are common behaviors, but I'm trying to think about my four cats, how each of them might react. I feel like I could have an idea of what they might do and truly not nice to think about, but better to think about it now before it happens. Uh, you know, touch wood, it, it never does, right? Uh, but it sounds like shelters and rescues, when they're working with folks who have lost their cat, a best practice may be right up front to say, hey, I got some questions for you about your cat. And then that turns into good advice. Yeah. Yeah. All of these things make a difference. But, you know, the whole, my whole goal is to relieve shelters from doing extra stuff. So if they just guided people to my online search guides, the person can figure out this is my type of cat. Here's, you know, the weather. This is how dense the population is. Are there cars and SUVs parked nearby? The person can figure out what works for them. 
you know, the cookie cutter advice can be dangerous. A lot of times people think their cat's missing, but it's still in the house. So you don't want to leave a window open if the cat might still be in the house. So there is a good reason for shelters to give owners good tips, but you know, I think it's smarter to just give them my information and say, these are search guides that are based on best practices and they're scientific and you can figure out which method is right for you. We'll put a link to your website in the show notes and that way everybody can access them on their podcast app of their choice and also on the website bestfriends.org slash podcast. When it comes to shelters advising owners, is there one thing that you see done very rarely, but something that you feel like every shelter should be doing? You know, I would love to see shelters offer uh, Monica Frendon had a drive up microchipping clinic where people could just drive up. They didn't have to bring their cat in where there were barking dogs and get a microchip. I would love to see more cats microchip. I would say one in 10 of the people who come to me with lost cats are microchipped. One in 10. It's pretty low. And they have this sense of false confidence that that microchip is eventually going to get their cat back. So I think it would be even better if they could, you know, get two people to do drive arounds and offer in-home microchipping. Most of the people I talked to have said, I was going to get her chipped or I didn't need to chip her or it was too stressful to go to the vet just for a chip. You know, a lot of it has to do with getting the cat in the carrier, taking it to a vet, quote, just for a microchip. There are good resources. You know, it used to be called Finding Rover and now it's Petco's Lost Love. Or is it Love Lost? And they're doing facial recognition. I think that's a big, smart development. There's Dan with Fine Pet is doing full body recognition, which is more important, I think, with cats. You know, cats' ratio of their eyes to their ears to their nose is all very similar. And that's what this facial recognition uses. With dogs, it varies a lot. You know, floppy ears, long snout, short snout. So it works, it works better for dogs. So I'm, I'm excited about the full body. Unfortunately, most people have pictures of their cats of their, you know, they're upside down or they're doing something cute. They're not standing, you know, front ways and sideways for the perfect photo. But I, I like that, that development a lot. I would like to see shelters just really break down, make it species specific tips. So, oh, you have a lost cat, you should do this. If you have a lost dog, do this. At least start there. Yeah, exactly. Again, I think you know, it's about what works versus what we think works or what we say and we tell people to do because that's just what we've always done. So, you know, if if you could just boil it down, what should we be advising cat owners uh, who have lost their cat? Yeah, I would, I would encourage everyone that's hearing this, go today, take a photo of your cat face on and a side view of their whole body, including their tail. That's part of the whole loss, you know, put a lost cat kit together so that you're prepared for the worst. Yeah. And as we're talking about it, I think that should be part of whatever we're sending adopters home with, right? Uh, checklists and information about their new pet. Tell them, take good photos. I'm not sure I have good ones, to be honest with you. I've got lots of photos on my phone of my cats. But as you said, I don't know if a picture of Bob laying upside down inside his banana bed is going to be very helpful. Um you know, so good photos. I mean, they make the difference. Cats look alike, markings are similar in size. So now I'm just thinking about how we stress to organizations to take good photos anyway, right? I mean, it's the difference maker often when we're talking about adoptions. 
and you mentioned facial recognition. You do need good photos for that. So I'm now wondering if a best practice for shelters, when they're getting the adoption photos, get the ones that you might need for this type of purpose, you know, the front image and the side image, the things you're mentioning, and then just give them to the adopters part of their adoption packet. That's brilliant. I would love, that's, I'm going to add that to my presentation. That's a great idea. And as long as they're taking photos, why not? There are so many tools available now, hardware, you know, technology's come such a long way. Earlier, you mentioned trail cams. We have a trail cam set up in our backyard, thankfully not because we've lost a pet, only because it's incredible to see what happens in the neighborhood at night. I mean, everything comes alive uh, and they're not expensive anymore. I, I, I want to say we paid about 50 for ours, maybe 75, and it works great. It's not IMAX quality, but for what we're using it for, it's, you know, it sees stuff. And then there are home security cams. I mean, the, the cost of, of those types of systems come down dramatically. Wise brand is uh, something we use mostly just to spy on our cats when we're gone. Um, but these things are pretty cheap. I want to say they're like 20 each. It's true. You can get decent cameras used to always be like over $100 and the texting cameras still are. You don't need a texting camera. You just need to pull the card and see what happened last night. Is this something shelters could offer? These types of investments, kind of expensive for one-time use. Uh, I mean, obviously a, a good use of money if you've lost your pet, uh, but still expensive for people who can afford it. And I imagine the costs of some of these things are just so out of reach for low-income pet owners. So shelters, you know, could they have lost pet kits with some of these different tools, and then they can just loan them out to folks. Yes, that's that's one of the things. I know this costs money, but if shelters at least had a trap bank, you know, somebody comes in to report their lost cat, you know, there's a, a different process they could use to record it, but I would love to see them loan out traps and trail cameras. That would be, and you know, they would get a deposit. So the person gets their deposit back when they bring it back, but I would love to see real traps, tomahawk and true catch traps offered at shelters to people who have lost cats or they just want to catch a, you know, a feral. Because people are using, they go to Home Depot and they buy a raccoon trap. And a lot of cats get injured. You know, these traps have a very slim trip plate. So raccoons, you know, they're kind of bumbling and they're going to hit the plate. Cats just lean over it, you know, and eat the food and they don't trigger it. Or, you know, those are shorter those things slam down, they can break a tail, they can come down on the cat's back. So if the shelters were loaning out true cat traps, yeah, I think it would be not only a great resource for the community, but you know, add to the success and catch more cats. So if you had to single out one platform, app, website that people should use, Nextdoor, obviously a site often recommended, knowing what we know about lost cat behavior and that they oftentimes don't go far, I got to think next door, you know, just posting that to your immediate neighborhood, that has to be an absolute must. Absolutely. That is the first place to start. Get those good pictures up on next door immediately and make sure people know if they see the cat, don't chase it. Don't try to grab it and catch it. You're just going to stretch and then the cat's gone again. Who knows where? What I recommend is get a picture and text it to me so you can confirm it's your cat. You don't want to spend two weeks trying to catch this cat. Someone is sure is yours. So send a photo. And the primary thing is don't chase it. Just call me. But yeah, that's the message on Nextdoor. Keep it simple. People are more likely to read it if it's short and has a good picture. 
So definitely get, you know, report it to your microchip. If you have a microchip, let them know that the pet is missing and give the shelter a report. Cat acquisition, a big difference with cats versus dogs. I think it's something like two thirds of own cats are not adopted. They're coming from friends, family, you know, people are taking them in astrays. And that likely means the cat is not going to be microchipped. Depends on the source of the data, but the majority say the percentage of owned pets with microchips, shockingly low, uh, I think in the single digits, but it's a huge difference maker. Again, shelters, rescues, of course, make sure you're microchipping the pets in your care, obviously, but also do some outreach into the community. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see that. Um, you said something interesting about percentage of cats, uh, how they were acquired. I saw a statistic within the last, I don't know, two years that about 35% of people who have cats said, you know, how did you get them? They just showed up. He just followed me home. He just was at the door one day. And they don't think of maybe three months ago, someone lost that cat. So many people I see saying a cat was abandoned or dumped. It could just simply be a lost cat and it has a great owner. Just because it's starving doesn't mean it had a, a mean, abusive owner. It's been lost for months. So yeah, 35% is a lot of cats just showing up at someone's door. Well, for those who want to work with you directly, Kim, just curious, what's your success rate? The success rate has it breaks down into the indoor only cats who get out and then the outdoor access cats who disappear. And it's it's much different. The success rate is higher with the indoor only escapees because we know, you know, based on the four types of cats, the behavior and the typical methods that work. The outdoor cats that go missing, there's a lot more variables and the success rate is lower. Usually, well, it means something happened to the cat to prevent it from coming home like usual. Another misconception people have and unfortunately, neighbors don't help with this on next door or in person is, oh, you know, there's coyotes around here. You know, when people say to someone who is crying and desperate to find their lost cat and you bring up coyotes, they may quit searching. They may just say, OK, I give up. I guess my cat was killed by a coyote when it's not. You know, it's chased up a tree by a coyote, but it's still alive. So, the, you know, the coyote thing really bothers me. Indoor cats who escape aren't going to be parading around where coyotes are going to even see them. They're, they're hiding from predators. It's the outdoor cats who are used to dogs. They're used to going around the neighborhood and dogs are no big deal. They're the ones who might get snagged by a coyote and it's usually between dusk and dawn. That's another thing we profile is when did the cat disappear? Is it an indoor outdoor cat? What time of day roughly did it disappear? I'm not saying that Cats are never taken by coyotes, but I wish people weren't told that by well-meaning neighbors. It doesn't help. Well, Kim, as we close this out, what else is there about lost cats that we didn't talk about that you want to mention? I think shelters can do a better job. We've talked about that on their lost and found page. You know, like you said, it's not just about filing a report. Um, I would love to see shelters use me as a resource, you know, put my information on your page. This is what happened when I was in Austin. I was in Austin for 10 years and the lost and found Austin admins on Facebook. When someone posts a lost cat, they say, read Kim's search guide, watch her video, her tutorial. And it's made a huge difference in the success rate and the number of animals decreasing the animals that come in. Same in Portland. 
they just have it on their under their lost and found resources on their website. So I think that alone could make a difference uh, in the recovery rates and the, the staff doesn't have to do anything. They don't have to be in the position of trying to coach someone, just, you know, be there, have someone to loan out the traps and the cameras and the gear when the person needs it. And the in-home microchipping would be wonderful. Those three things I think would help shelters tremendously. I would like to see the day where there are just hardly ever cats in shelters or the day that there's a separate shelter for the cats and the dogs. That would be nice if they at least had separate buildings so the cats weren't exposed to that stress and noise of the barking all the time. All of this is about life-saving. You know, whether you're doing prevention or recovery and all of these things, these small things really add up. I'd like to thank my colleagues, Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, Kim Clonch, Tawny Hammond, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn. And this is the Best Friends Podcast.